0: Thank you for joining me today and welcome to the Spiritual Warrior Coach podcast. I am your host Barbara Savin and I am here to help you reclaim your energy, your power and your authentic self. I am a certified clinical and medical hypnotherapist, Reiki Master and Teacher, energy healing specialist and best-selling author of Gentle Energy Touch: The Beginner's Guide to Hands-on Healing. heart desires, because one day the world will tap you on your shoulder and say, this is your time to shine. And speaking about shining, I'm going to bring my guest on right now. Uh, Her name is Fatima Olivia. Welcome. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm doing well. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So let me tell my listeners a little bit about you. Uh, Fatima is an inspirational speaker, coach, and author of the the book, The uh, Prescription is in the Dirt. Well, that's an interesting name, and we need to get to talk about that. (laughs) And at the early age, she became convinced that pain and family was identical, and living with the trauma from physical and sexual abuse, the loss of a child, abandonment issues, and horrible decision-making helped Fatima develop a long and complicated relationship with anxiety and depression. And it took over 30 years before finding the courage to change her life. And the journey to finding herself and accepting who God created her to be birthed key action steps that have helped others mature in their soul healing journey. Wow,
1: welcome. How are you today? Thank you so much. I'm definitely better talking to you. <laughs> you are so encouraging for sure. Oh, well, thank you. Um
0: yeah, uh you know, after reading your your bio, I said, "Wow, yeah. this this lady really had a tough life."
1: Yeah, when I was just listening to you, I was like, "Wow, that's so sad." <laughs> yeah, I know
0: it's it's wow. very sad.
1: Yeah. yeah, isn't it something though to to equate family with pain? But it it truly is um, one of the most honest statements I believe I've made in my life, and and unfortunately that that is how I viewed love, family, um, support. You know, it was wrapped up. Um, with the center of it being pain just because of so many horrible things that we encountered with me being at such a young age that was one of the pain was one of the first things I was introduced to Mm. and um, yeah that's very true at two years old um, I was had an accident where I got burned on 25% of my body and so it was a complete accident um, water heater burst and it, um, it it was broken and it spouted out only hot water. I wound up getting put into a bathtub with hot water. And um, and so that was at two where I had to have a skin graft and, and learn how to eat, walk, and talk all over again, the little talking I could do, right? And so it's just thinking about that, that at the age of two, I knew somber and sadness and grief and just all the horribleness um, or the feelings anyways that you can feel? and and I was um, I was introduced to those feelings at such a young age. and and then from there, um the the abuse in the home, domestic abuse, watching my mother be um beaten by my stepfather, sexual abuse, I mean, all of those things are just huge. So truly, for the most part of my upbringing, I viewed love and pain and family and support all intermingled together. And most of that was, was um, the, the primary factor in that was a lot of pain, unfortunately.
0: Wow. That's, that's, that's a tough life to grow up. You know, th- th- did you have like other, other siblings or sisters? Yeah. Or- I did. So
1: Barbara, I'm actually the only girl. Oh, (laughs) Yeah, I had five brothers. And so I had two on my dad's side, three on my mom's side. And, and she was a single mom for, for pretty much most of my life. And, and she was raising boys. And so it was very much a tough type of military, you know, directive type of approach, you know, and I get it because of the fact that i have boys and i know how you know i have to talk to them in order for them to actually listen mm-hmm. and so it it makes sense the direction that she would take a lot of times but i believe the undergird emotion that was under her discipline and and direction was a lot of frustration and so how she spoke to the boys she spoke to me how she parented the boys she parented me and there was no difference and and so in that, especially talking about generations and talking about the old school way of, of 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 parenting, boys were not supposed to be soft. You know, you 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 put that factor in there too. I grew up in a space where it was painful, but we weren't allowed to process the pain. Oh we didn't have the room to process the pain because we weren't being tough if we were crying if we were sad, if we felt embarrassed, if we felt ashamed, we weren't being tough. And because I grew up in a home full of boys, how they were expected to act, I was expected to act.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: um, and so I, I had brothers um, and so that, that in itself made me feel a little isolated because I didn't have any sisters. And um, so I would definitely try to get up under my mom but she was so busy trying to survive that that wasn't that successful. So I learned to isolate myself a lot with my thoughts and with my true feelings, just really, really living in a space of isolation at such a young age. And the problem with that is, as I grew up and as I began to date and make decisions and form relationships with people, I still had that space of isolation where I wouldn't share what was truly going on inside me. And I was very introverted and it wasn't from a healthy place. It was for fear of sharing how I really felt and, and how I would be judged. So it was a very interesting um, upbringing.
0: Wow. So you suffered, I would assume, then a lot of anxiety and depression and mm-hmm. low self-esteem and confidence. And
1: Yeah, that sounds like a nice cocktail, huh? <laughs> yeah, wow. Oh, yeah, for sure. But the thing is, when you're living in a space like that and- And in my community, we were in an underprivileged community. So it was a lot of people that lived like that. And and that made it look normal. So us living any kind of way was not normal. Me expressing how I felt about things was not normal. Me being angry and determined, that was normal. But me being um, emotional outside of showing anger, it just wasn't normal because we, we were taught to survive everything but never taught to stop and process. Oh my God, did that just happen to me? And how's that making me feel? Those were not questions that came up. And so, um, yeah, it was definitely a space and time where anxiety was normal. Anxiety was was shown, exhibited in anger. So um, very short-tempered, throwing things, um, ready to fight physically, all Mm -hmm. of those things. That was the way to deal with the anxiety because we didn't necessarily know that that's what it was. And my my entire upbringing, even when I got on my own, I felt that those feelings were normal and me feeling sad all the time was normal because I don't recall a time when I didn't feel sad. So being able to hear someone or take in that how I was living my life emotionally, um, first and foremost, that it was unhealthy. Would have been so foreign to me, um, and I think that's why it took so long for me to actually seek out medical help. So, so when did, I mean,
0: this this went on your your whole childhood life into your teens?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Through teens, through um, early adulthood, through um, uh, a bad marriage, um, through the death of a child, which just just you know just compounded what I was already feeling and and just never being able to stop and and express this is how I'm feeling and having someone to talk to about it. We didn't, um, in my community, it wasn't, didn't talk a lot about therapy and going to the doctor to get um, medical, help, I mean, emotional help. We didn't even go for medical help. <laughs> so, wow. so we definitely Jeez. wasn't going to go for emotional. Well, so yeah. I really did not stop and decide that I was going to get help until around 35 when I was 35 is when I was really at a space where I was considering suicide on such a intense level and it was just the fear me being afraid that I would act it out is what actually got me to go and seek uh, medical help and you were already married at that age or um Mm, but by then, um, I had been married, divorced, and I was actually um, reengaged and and from from what it looked like, everything was great. I had a great partner, right? Um, I had children, two children at the time. I, I seemed to be oh. on the right path with my job, and you know with my career path. just everything seemed to be going in a positive direction. But for me, emotionally, I was a basket case. I was so unbalanced. There was no telling what what I would do at any minute and uh, you know I desperately was needing help but didn't know how to ask for it just didn't even know where to start and so I really got to a place where the pain that I had suppressed since I was a child was trying to just unravel me and it was becoming louder and louder and louder nothing that I could run away from quick enough and it caught up to me and I was just in the space where it wasn't that I felt that life would be better without me I don't believe I even thought that Mm -hmm. i was thinking the pain is so strong and so powerful um and so exhausting i just want the pain to stop the emotional pain to stop and that's what i was trying to stop and so um and i'm just grateful that that i had a little bit of light to shine through to tell me fatima you need to go to the doctor
0: so so you went to that. So what what mm-hmm. steps did you actually begin to take in order to have the pain disappear and then be in control of your life?
1: Yeah, so it started off with me being put on being diagnosed with clinical depression, which for me was huge because mm-hmm. no one had ever was able was ever able to tell me what was wrong with me. And there had been moments where I had felt little moments throughout my years where I said, I just feel like something's wrong with me. But then the people that I was around would say, there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to toughen up. Mm -hmm. You just need to stop wearing your feelings on your sleeves, you know, be a little tougher. So that's what I would listen to. And so this was the first time someone actually said, no, you actually have a chemical imbalance and and I'm diagnosing you with clinical depression and I'm going to put you on medicine and it's going to help you. And so it was just like the heavens opened up. It was just such relief. Um, for the first time, I felt like I was, I was gonna be okay. And I actually was on medicine for about 10, 11 years faithfully um, until I got to a place where all those feelings were kind of coming back. And I'd had bouts of depression in between me taking my medicine, but I felt, well, maybe I just need to get more medicine. I never stopped to say, well, what is, what is the reason reason. behind me feeling this way? Like what got me here? I never, it just didn't cross my mind. I never thought about it. Um, and around when I turned 42, 43 is when I had another moment where I had been on my medicine for so long. I knew what was wrong with me. I knew that I struggled with clinical depression and anxiety. I knew, you know, I knew, I knew the titles but I never knew why. And I was at that place again where I felt like I just wanted to end my life. And again, all that pain that I had pushed aside that the medicine truly did help me balance most of it, but I never got to the root. And all of those things were trying to come back and grab my attention again. And I didn't know how to face it. And so I was at a space of time where I was saying, I'm just gonna put a bag over my head. I'm just gonna end my life. And um, I'm grateful that I had a set of, I consider it a safe place. I talk about that a lot in my books about having a safe place to fall. And I had a group of people that I had developed over the years that were my safe place to fall, a place where I felt that I wouldn't be judged no matter what I said. And surprisingly, none of them were my family members. These were just people that I believe had come into my life for a reason and have walked with me through some some treacherous moments of time Mm -hmm. and it was those people that I went to in desperation and said this is where I'm at and in response they stated I think you need talk therapy and I really believe that if I didn't have a relationship with them already that I would have pushed that off as if they were saying to me I was crazy and I would have gotten defensive and said you know what are you talking about you know and I wouldn't have listened to the wisdom but I'm grateful that I did have a relationship, so I was able to take in that wisdom, even though it hurt to hear, to take in that wisdom. And I started my journey into going to therapy, and, but I also did other things um, that were um, really getting spiritually guided, back, back spiritually guided, um, did my own personal research on the mind, and, and just really capturing my thoughts. I knew that it was very important for me to work on capturing my thoughts and being open to discovering why I am the way that I am. Not just getting medicated for it, but being open to discovering why. What are the things that are triggering me to go, in, to go into a bout of anxiety? What, are, what is triggering me that that's making me go into a bout of depression? What are those things? And so with the help of a therapist and my spiritual guidance and just my determination, honestly, to not be afraid to look at my mess, um, that's when really the hard work started mm-hmm. because I started to uncover things. I started to uncover the pain of being different mm-hmm. and when I was two years old and people would stare at me and tell me that I was ugly because of my burns. And I started being open to looking at the pain of being an abused child from a stepfather, two stepfathers, one would beat us and, and one of one sexually abused me looking at that pain head on and saying, was I at fault and releasing the guilt of that? And just really, each thing that that had been I had been carrying on my back basically mm-hmm. for all these years. I had been carrying it on my back like a backpack through every part of my life. I decided to look at those things head on, no matter how afraid I got, no matter how I didn't know which direction that that topic was going to take me, and if I was going to lose a family member, if I was going to lose a friend, didn't know if I was going to um, have to um, accept at some things in my life I had no clue but the fact that I was willing to look at the events head on that is truly what began to help me to cope better with my anxiety and depression it really it relieved so much when I decided to start looking at the reason why I was why I struggled with anxiety and depression
0: that's being very courageous let me tell you <laughs> extremely courageous because most people decided you know and 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 just take, end up taking more medication, but you, yeah. you made the choice to, you know, shed, you know, and, and clear
1: what actually, you know, caused all this in the first place. Yeah. And I wish that I could say that I felt like She-Ra or just like this superwoman,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I did not, I, I had no clue. I didn't know what I was doing. And that's why I like Um, that I've written about it because I share that vulnerability as far as it was a baby step approach. It was me just saying I'm desperate and I'm just tired of living like this. Like I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted from just having to be on medicine. And that's the only way that I can, I can balance my thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I was just tired of, a feeling that I didn't have an answer, and and that I was a mental mess. I called myself a poised mess. That I looked so good on the outside, and I knew how to dress it up. But on the inside, I was just a mess. I just got tired of being that way, and so it was in desperation that I said, you know, to the gods, like, help me, just please help me, you know. And and this is when um, I look at it as a soul healing journey. I believe for the first time. I began to listen to what my emotions were showing me, what my mental was showing me, um, my spiritual, what um, my physical, all of it was trying to share with me. And I started paying attention that when this happens, I act like this. Mm-hmm. When this occurs, I act like this or it impacts me in my body this way. And I really just started being really cognizant of that. And just those small things that, um, I didn't have to wait on a therapist to tell me, tell me that, you know, just mm-hmm. being more aware of me and centering myself, I was able to say, okay, well then if this is what caught, co- if this causes me anxiety, stop doing that. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just able to do some small things. And then, like I said, joining in with a the therapist, um, spiritually aligning myself, it took a multitude of things, but, but at the center of it all, it was my willingness to, to not look away and to, to face whatever was going to be uncovered by me, um, looking at a topic and saying, why does it trigger this inside mm-hmm. of me?
0: So now you, you had children at this time, right? When mm-hmm. all this was, how yeah. old were you,
1: how old were your children? Um, so my kids, they're there, they were a, a few years in what they are now. And now they are 22 I have boys and 22, 15, 11, and eight. Oh, okay. So, wow. Yeah. So it was a, a bit of a gap in, you know, I still had to be a mom. I still had to be a wife. I still had to be an employee, you know. And so it took a lot of dedication to be able to say, but I'm going to carve out some time for myself mm-hmm. to um, to work on myself and take one thing at a time, one topic at a time. But in the beginning, um, when I really started doing soul searching, um, at first I was embarrassed about going to therapy and I didn't want anybody to know and um, I eventually told my husband, but after a while, I just said, in order for me to be able to help my children and to help them to not be emotionally bound, like I have been, I have to be honest and I have to um, be as honest as I can be based on their age level. And so I opened up and shared with them a few, a couple of years ago, um, my walk with therapy and, um, and, and why I go to therapy, some reasons of why I go to therapy mm-hmm. And um, especially when the pandemic happened, my therapy appointments, um, even though I've done a huge amount of work on myself and I've written books and I help other people, I still keep a therapist because I still need a sounding board. That doesn't stop. Yeah. And so I, I I would do virtual therapy sessions. And so I I, I stopped shying away from doing the virtual ther- therapy sessions when the kids were at you know were, were at home. Mm-hmm. I decided to make the appointments when they were at home so that they could see that mommy does this to, to help herself yeah. to stay balanced. And they've even asked me, why do you have to talk to the therapist? Why can't you just talk to daddy? Why can't you just <laughs> talk to us? I'll listen. And I think it's the sweetest, uh-huh. but, I, but I thought it was also important to share with them that there may be times in your life where as much as you know that I want to be there for you, you may not feel comfortable talking to me. Mm-hmm. And so there may be some things where you may need to talk to somebody else. And I want you to know it's okay to talk to a therapist. That's what they're there for. And so just, just um, it's easy to speak it, but it's another thing to show them and to live it. Them, and so yeah. I just felt that it was very important for me to not, to not hide that piece of me. Even though I'm in a, uh, I'm in a truly, truly uh, blessed space right now in my life, The fact that I still go means it's still it's still necessary for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that they need to be able to see that part as well so that they can see it played out in their lives. And if there's a time where they need it, hopefully they won't be ashamed to go because they have a reference.
0: Right. Wow. So it was all about loving yourself, you could
1: say. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Definitely. At the time I didn't realize it, but that was the biggest way that I could have loved on myself Mm -hmm. was to stop and acknowledge. My pain, and um, I like to say, give my pain a voice, mm-hmm. um, to provide my pain a voice, and to not fight to be right or wrong. That that's irrelevant. It was about simply giving my pain a voice, and um, to and in some regards, giving my pain a voice meant just speaking to my therapist. In other regards, giving my pain a voice meant going beyond my therapist and making. Um, a, um, setting a conversation aside for the person that hurt me, and having a, a, a bold co- um, conversation about about that pain and what did hurt me, and and what I expected moving forward if we were going to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. So some it, some situations required those type of conversations. As an example, Barbara, I would say when um, I hadn't had a relationship with my father um, since I was a kid. So when I went through being burned, when I went through being molested, when I graduated from high school, he was not in the picture of any of those in the pain or in the joy. And so um, I really made it my mission when I became an adult and could make my own decisions um, to never allow him space into my life. Mm. And even when he decided that he wanted to recover from drugs and alcohol and that he wanted a relationship, I felt he didn't deserve it because of all the pain that he caused in my life. And basically on this other side of life, now it's time for him to pay. Mm -hmm. And so I was determined to not have him in my life to the point where my kids thought he was dead. I didn't try to make them think he was dead, but he just never came up. He wasn't a factor. Yeah, and so my walking through my own healing in regards to my father was working on myself enough to where I could have a conversation with him about some of the, the bigger pain points Mm-hmm. Um, that caused our relationship to sever. But before I could ever have that conversation, I had to first have a conversation with myself and re- have a realistic conversation with myself about if I was willing to forgive them or not. And I had to go in in a space of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. And so that that it took some time for me to get to that space of for me working on myself, going into therapy, a, a basket case pretty much, and get into a place where I was willing to consider forgiven my father it took about a year for me to get to that place okay and 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 so I had to in order for me to get there I had to take each thing that made me riled up when I thought about it I took each thing looked at it looked at it dissected it what happened how did it make me feel what was the damage that happened because of it as an example him not showing up for my graduation how did that make me feel how did it, how did it damage me? Well, I said, I'll never ask him for anything ever again in my life. And then who was to blame? Clearly it was him. He mm-hmm. was to blame. And then, um, but now what, what do I do with it? Now that I realized, now that I figured out what the situation was and how it's impacted me and how I've carried it on with me throughout my life and that he was at fault. Now, what am I going to do with it? With each situation, similar to that, I got to a place where I had to ask myself the question: Now, what are you going to do with it? And it. in that was the room for forgiveness. And so I made conscious choices. I'm choosing to release this because number one, it's not hurting anybody else but my but me. Mm-hmm. It may be hurting him. It may or may not be. I don't know. But I know for sure it's hurting me because I have no room in my heart. Like this is taking up so much. Room in my heart, this hatred is taking up so much room in my heart. This bitterness and resentment is just taking up so much room in my heart. There's no room for light, there's no room for love in this one space because it's filled with anger and rage. And so, I'm making a choice to release that because that anger and rage is instigating my anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. So, I need to release that. And so, once I got to the place where I made a conscious choice that I was going to release it, then I was able to work out. Or do I want a relationship? Do I not want a relationship? What would I want if I did want a relationship? What would that look like? I was able to look on the other side, but until I made a decision with every single thing that triggered me, how I wanted to deal with it, I wasn't able to get on the other side to to um, to fix relationships, to reconcile, or to walk away in peace. I wasn't able to make those decisions until first I I resolved it with inside within with within inside myself. Yourself. So have mm-hmm. you forgiven him and moved forward or actually, yeah. We've um I, I had that conversation. I scheduled time for us to have the conversation and we hadn't talked one on one, oh my God, in like a, at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. At least 20 years. And so I was nervous. <laughs> I didn't know mm-hmm. how he was going to take the conversation. I was scared. Yeah. <laughs> and um Yeah, I just never had had an adult conversation, you know, with my father before and essentially a stranger, but still he has the title of my father. I didn't know how he was going to act. I didn't know his personality, so I didn't know if he was going to get mad or I didn't know. But again, I had to go in thinking it's truly to give my pain a voice. And it's not about it's not about me being right or wrong. It's not about him looking at me as right or wrong. It's about me saying this is how this incident made me feel. This is how it impacted my life you know, but I'm choosing to release it. But I want you to know that this is how these decisions have impacted my life. And then moving forward, if we are to have a relationship, if you are open to having a relationship, these are my expectations and at this, you know, my boundaries. And at that point, it's up to him on what he wants to do. But at least being able to stand up for myself, give myself Mm -hmm. a voice, give my pain a voice. And so I scheduled the, the, the time for us to talk. And I think because he had been in, a recovery type of recovery before because of his, um, narcotics and uh, drug abuse and alcohol abuse. He was open to hearing me in regards to allowing me to speak. And, um, because there's a part of inventory that happens in those types of settings. And what we were doing was similar to that. Mm -hmm. I do believe that played in our favor. um, in this instance, and so me being able to share, and when I came to the table, I could have brought a Santa's list full of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I could have brought so many things because remember, he's never been there. I'm right. By then I'm 40 something years old. I'm in my mid forties. He hasn't been there. I got a list, but what I decided was what are those key things that are the most painful to me? Okay. And so it, can, it wound up being about five things that were recurring events, There were recurrent feelings that constantly egged me in this space of damage. And it was those five things that I brought to the table. And I shared those things and just said, if you are willing to listen, I would appreciate if you would allow me to speak. And then once I'm done, I promise I will allow you to address every situation. And with me understanding that I will not manipulate the conversation. I will not try to sway him Mm -hmm. for an apology. I'm literally just stating this is how how these things felt. And whatever happens is whatever happens, right? And I had to make, my, make that decision up before I came to the table. Yeah. And I'm grateful that he was more than open, more than apologetic. Um, and and we've been able to um, forge a, a pretty solid relationship for the first time. He was able to meet his grandchildren and spend wow. Christmas with them. And it's just been such a blessing. And so we've been in each other's lives now for almost three years. Wow. And what about your mom? my mom with the our major issue was the sexual abuse that occurred and the decisions that were made around the sexual abuse um her decision to actually allow the perpetrator to come back and um be in relationship with her and around me even after um he was indicted for sexual abuse mm-hmm. and so for me and my my relationship with my mom though we had she was in my life Um, most of my life, we had this weird dynamic relationship, you know, it felt that I owed a debt to her and, Mm -hmm. um, and I'm not sure what, and some things that she has said has made me believe that, that there was blame that she, that she pointed towards me for um, our family dynamic drastically changing because of the fact that my stepfather was indicted. And I carried that guilt that guilt for years, wow. for, even into adulthood. So I definitely had a strong connection with codependency. Whatever my mom wanted, I did it. Whatever my family wanted, I tried my best to do, even if I was thousands of miles away, because I didn't want to make them upset. I just felt that I had cost us so much. As a child, I felt that way, and that I carried that throughout my life. So even with that topic and how it had impacted me with anxiety and depression, when I got to a place where I went through those same questions, what happened? How did it make me feel? What was the damage? Who was at fault? It was only when I got to that question of who was at fault, which you would think intellectually, I knew the answer. Mm -hmm. But when I was writing it down, who was at fault? For the first time, I realized that my name shouldn't be written there. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't, I was not at fault. I was 11 years old. And I was able to think that me as a parent, What would I have done as a parent now now that I am a parent and I have an 11-year-old? How would I have wanted that to, uh, what would I have done? And then I was able to compare that to what was done and realize that I had no fault. Mm -hmm. And it really took me getting to that place of who was at fault, that question, for me to release myself from guilt. And so in me releasing myself from guilt, I had that same type of conversation about this is what happened. This was giving my pain a voice. And this was the situation and this is how it damaged my life all these years. This is how it's damaged my life. And unfortunately, in that conversation, my mother wasn't open to hearing my voice. Oh. And so it, it showed that not all the time will you get what you want hmm. when you give your pain a voice but it's not about getting what you want as far as from the other person. It's about you standing up in your truth and saying, I have a voice and I have a right to be heard. And no matter what you want to deny or approve, this did happen to me. It does matter to me because I matter. It is valid because I'm valid Mm -hmm. and I have a choice of what I want to do with this pain. Now, am I going to let it continue to to run my life, that's a personal decision, right? But I still have a right to give my pain a voice. And so that was my learning lesson that, that that's what I got out of it. So even though my mother wasn't receptive at all in regards to our conversation, I gotta be honest, I definitely walked away feeling so proud of myself because I had never spoken up like that before in regards to the sexual abuse ever in my life. It had taken us, 34 years to have this type of conversation. Oh my. 34 years. We had never once sat down and revisited that pain. We had lived on past it. And that's what I mean by as a child, I learned to survive, but we never processed.
0: You never processed
1: it. Yeah. So we went 34 years. And the day that it came for me to have the conversation, I was just as scared as if I was an 11 year old child. And that's when it had occurred when I was eleven, and I felt like I relit. I went back in time in that moment, and it's just that just goes to show you how how close trauma can be. Oh yeah, and, you know how close it can be. We are grown, and I I I was telling myself I am grown. I have kids, mm-hmm. and I have mm-hmm. a job, and I am a professional. <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? yeah, but, but it's still there. Where I was- Right. When I was talking about the trauma, it was so close and it made me feel like I was a child all over again. But the wonderful thing about it is that in the midst of that whole experience,
0: I think I, lost I was able you. to you go there?
1: in a quiet I'm space. I'm still there. I'm still oh. here. Can you and hear I was me? able oh, to yeah, apologize to yeah. the 11 year old that lived there. So, in- the baby. Um, yeah. I, but I think, so you, I think it's amazing. Run. I that, thought it was dramatic. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, that I mean, we, we have run. so much in us. Yeah. That we you know, can,
0: when, when we that look we can back and we overcome ourselves, and we're so resilient. You know, and the thing is but that a lot of times we allow that, that resilience needs the forgiveness. Needs to stop it's, it's, us from healing. We need to forgive yeah. them. Yeah. Exactly. But by we, doing um, that, it actually you know, we, sets we us. We hold ourselves
1: to some big expectation that if we feel, if we feel, the emotions that are linked to whatever the situation is that were weak. And unfortunately, some of that is generational, how we were raised. And I truly had to be told by therapist, Fatima, it's okay for you to feel. It's like I needed permission. yeah, Because my entire life, it was as if me feeling emotions meant that I was weak. I was never called weak. But what I was, what the phrases that were said to me made me feel like I was weak. You know, you wear your feet on your sleeve, toughen up. And so when I got that revelation at Fatima, it's okay for you to feel, Mm -hmm. you know, if this feel pain, if this made you feel sadness, it's okay to feel the sadness. No, you shouldn't live in that space and reside in that space forever and, and pitch a tent in that space. You have to make a decision what you're going to do with the sadness, but it's definitely okay for you to work through that emotion. And so I had to give myself permission to do that and i'm so grateful that i did because now i'm going to change a legacy in my family exactly. because now i'm allowing my children mm-hmm. and they're boys and you know how boys are are sometimes raised uh-huh. but i'm changing that and i'm allowing my children to to feel their emotion and not be ashamed to feel sad not be ashamed to feel embarrassment you know, we if we can celebrate the the joy, we should be able to to be able to support you in your sadness, and you should be able to feel it all because we were given these emotions for a reason.
0: Yeah, they're there for a reason, without a doubt. Now, do you, do you still talk to your brothers?
1: I do talk to my brothers. Absolutely, they do. We do check ins. <laughs> so, okay. um, definitely not as not as close, and I just believe that has to do with um the fact that we live so many thousands of miles away, but also we we live different lives. Okay. And um and and unfortunately, when when um the what how can I say it, when I had the the courage to be able to give my pain a voice, that caused a, a tremendous wedge in my family. Okay. And that was another reason why I was concerned about speaking up and then talking about it in a book, forget about it.
0: <laughs> it yeah, like, I was oh, going to say, I'm wow, you had to like courage it. to write it.
1: So, you know, so they yeah. know you wrote a book, right? They know you. Absolutely. It. Absolutely. And um, and they have shown their support. You know, there are some people that definitely do not agree with my choice, but that's OK, too. Yeah. An- another part of me healing of my healing is allowing people the right to disagree, to misunderstand. I have to allow people that right. In other words, I can't control what other people think and stop trying to. Mm-hmm. And so I had to release that and just focus on what was meant for me to do. And for me, writing the book was an extension of healing for me. It was therapeutic for me. It was another way for me to give my pain a voice. And then outside of that, when, I, when it came to publishing it, it was more. It was still about giving my pain a voice, but it was more. It was more, um, also more about giving people a voice who haven't found their legs yet. Yes. Who who hasn't who haven't gotten the courage or whatever they need, the strength to be able to speak up for themselves. That I felt that I was carrying them on their on 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 my shoulders. Like somebody has carried me on theirs and that's why I've gotten the grit and the courage to walk through the pain that I've walked through. I didn't get it by myself. I got it from somebody, my ancestors. And mm-hmm. so for me, I just felt like writing it was very therapeutic. Publishing it was very scary because I knew what the consequences may consequences. be. Yet I still felt an obligation to speak the truth about my life and about secrecy and family secrecy and, and, and sexual abuse and just, and just how the victim can sometimes um, look like the betrayer, Mm -hmm. you know, in this dysfunctional web, unfortunately, and how it's not right and to speak up so that those people who haven't been able to speak up for themselves, at least know that there's somebody else speaking up for them.
0: That's the most important part because most people feel so lonely, and yeah. you know, and and they know they want to say something, but again, they're ashamed and afraid.
1: Yeah, and it that, and I think that's where it comes to really, really working hard to establish a safe place because it is possible, even in the most horrific situations it is possible to have a safe place a safe place could be one or two people maybe even one person maybe somebody on your job who constantly notices marks on your body but you tell them it's nothing yeah you know or or who cover for you um you know maybe they know because of their own past right maybe they have experience because of their own past Mm -hmm. there is a way to have a safe place a lot of times we have to trust and that can be difficult for people who've been abused or who've been hurt to trust the unknown, to trust other people. Um, but that's the the other side of, of creating a, a safe place. For me, I was so used to being the only girl, number one. So I often did things by myself. Mm-hmm. And then growing up in such a painful dynamic, I often isolated myself to feel comfort. So as a grown up, making relationships with people and women and just anybody was difficult for me to trust. But I learned over time that sometimes it can get real lonely not having friends. <laughs> <Okay>? Yeah, it can. <laughs> yeah, it can get real lonely. Uh-huh. So, so, I mean, there's only so many movies I can go to by myself. Just yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so there was a point where I had to learn to trust people and allow people to come into my little safe space and prove me wrong. Prove, prove, Give me a reason to not trust you versus me feeling like I already have reason and I don't even know the person. Allow them in my space and then let them prove me let them prove me right that I shouldn't have trusted them. And so I've had to do that. But in doing that and taking that step of faith, I've been able to incorporate a group of people that I can go to. Like I stated, when I was at a place where I wanted to end my life, it was those people that I went to. Now to? imagine if I had no one. Yeah. And so for those people who are struggling or who are born through treacherous, painful moments, I would encourage you to just step out in faith and trust someone to speak that you can to, to speak your truth to. Mm-hmm. And um, not all the time is that going to be a family member. Sometimes it's going to be a friend. Sometimes it's going to be a coworker. Sometimes, honestly, it's going to have to be a therapist. It's going to have to be somebody that you pay or life coach, somebody that you pay to listen to you. But at the end of the day, they all have one thing in common and that's your best interest at heart. Exactly. And so I would strongly encourage anyone Um, who's, who's experiencing any type of pain um, to try to establish that. But even if you're going through a joyous moment and don't feel like you have anybody to share with, I think that's even a better time to establish it Um, because everybody likes to be celebrated and there is nothing like having an awesome moment occur in your life and no one to share it with, you know, Mm-hmm. And, um, and and so I've been able to have that also um, the right people to celebrate me with, you know, to celebrate, you know, celebrate with um, because not everybody's happy for you. And if you're coming from a dysfunctional unit, a lot of times when you're trying to grow yourself, that unit is dysfunctional. So they don't understand your growth and your decision making. Mm-hmm. So the positive changes you're making to them looks negative mm-hmm. and you look like you're trying to be something that you're not. And, and so it can come off as such a bad experience. Having a safe place, a supportive space to be able to celebrate your growth is so critical when you're trying to change your life.
0: So you you wrote this book to help others then. I
1: mean, do you, do you coach others? Or... I do. Okay. I do. I, I like um, interpersonal one-on-one mm-hmm. is very favorable. Um, I found that... Um, um, people tend to be more open with me when it's one-on-one engagement, but I have done some virtual events as well, and um, you can search me on YouTube and you'll see some virtual videos, but I often do one-on-one sessions um, with clients, and you can always go to my website, FatimaC.com, and, and send a request, and, and, and that could be set up. It's been an awesome an awesome journey and yes. and it's funny because it never was on purpose. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's what makes it beautiful. <laughs> it is. It is because I feel mm-hmm. like I tapped into my purpose, which I've yes. always been someone to encourage people, but I've often been encouraging people as a deflector because mm-hmm. I was suffering with depression and anxiety. And I didn't like it when people asked me, well, how are you doing? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of people that are struggling with depression or they're in the middle of depression, a a crisis, they don't like to answer that question. Exactly. So they avoid it and they deflect. And so I was a great deflector. So I would often help people (laughs) (laughs) while I was falling apart. While you were falling apart. Yeah. And people would always say, Fatima, oh, my God, you're such a great listener and, and you always have great advice. But I wasn't taking my own advice, you know. And so it wasn't until I, I really started working on myself and going through my own healing journey that I was actually able to walk out what I was speaking. And so I'm grateful that now I'm aligned in that. Mm-hmm. And so when I'm able to speak into other people's lives and to, to, to come alongside people and support them through their healing journey that I don't have to hide any piece of myself and that I can continue to evolve in my own healing journey as well. So how long did it take you to write your book? The first one. So actually I have, I have three now. And the reason why it's three is because the original one is exactly what you stated. The prescription is in the dirt. And that was the one that it felt like I just vomited. It just came out. And, and I really believe it's because everybody has a story Mm-hmm. And I had just tapped into my story that had been telling this story for years, like in my head for years. It was just being told in a victim, self-victimized type of way, like all these things have happened to me. Woe is me type of a way? But I've been telling this story to myself for years. Okay. So when it was time to write it, it was so easy. And so it took about six weeks for me to actually write it and and to say, to say that I am done. And then from there was the editing process, which is a nuance. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I I learned that. I learned that. But as far as writing and like just Mm -hmm. getting it all off of my chest and being able to, I'm sure, you know, get to that last word and do the period and, and have that feeling of I'm done. I'm done. (laughs) Yeah. And it was like, I really have nothing else to say that happened in six weeks. And then from there, it was, well, how do I do this thing called publishing and just figuring out all of that? And then from there, um, I wrote a second book, um, actually, a couple months ago that just was published, well, that got published a couple months ago, and it's called I Said What I Said, and that is more towards parenting. <laughs> and oh. and um, yeah, and my take on parenting my four boys and coming from a space of, Generational habits that are often transferred to our children mm-hmm. and some generational habits are awesome and some are painful mm-hmm. and just how I've been able to navigate those habits in, in um, specific reference to being a parent. And so that's that's a more comical book because I'm talking about my kids and they always do something crazy. Okay. Yeah, they always do, don't they? <laughs> <laughs> They're always doing something and it's boys and it's a little rough around the edges mm-hmm. cuz I'm talking how boys talk so so you know so yeah, be warned. <laughs> that <was laughs> definitely more fun to read but still uh-huh. very thought provoking and insightful and just sharing um you know, my, my lessons and my mistakes and, and, and hopefully some wisdom. Um, but, but with my first book, the prescription is in the dirt. I was, I was blessed to be able to get it picked up with a a major publishing company. And so now the book is available everywhere books are sold and I was able to enhance it. And so my, my second edition of that book is the prescription is in the dirt rising through the pain. And so I was able to add Um, steps that I personally took on my own healing journey. I was able to add, um, offer insightful or reflective questions. So now you're not only just reading um, my testimony, you're not just reading my story, but you're also with every chapter able to answer questions that I had to answer myself. Mm. And so um, hopefully to help guide the reader through their own healing journey, Mm -hmm. at least start them on the way. And so that you don't just read it and get emotional and say, I should do this work, but then close the book and put it on the shelf Yeah. that you actually start doing the work. And then from there, it's up to you. Yeah. Right. So, all right. So you've
0: wow, So that's all three books. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Goofy. And and four children, four boys, right? And four boys. Yeah. And a husband. (laughs) And a husband.
1: (laughs) Wow. You've
0: accomplished a lot. I have.
1: Yeah. It's been a lot. It's been a journey. I am grateful. I am very grateful. But I know that um, that the writing part is just a part of uh, my healing. And so um, I don't really look at it as a prize. I'm so grateful for it. Mm -hmm. And and I'm so great. I'm even more grateful when it helps people. Um, But I also know that it's necessary um, in order for me to continue on with my own personal healing is being able to have a way to to get it out and outlet and um, and that's just not doing um, talking, talking to a therapist or talking to other people or talking to you, but right. also writing it. It's so therapeutic right. for me to write. And so I'm so grateful that I've gotten back my love for writing because I've always loved it. Um, since I could remember in school, I've always loved writing. Um, I just lost it along the way uh, because of so much pain. Mm-hmm. So I'm so grateful that I, 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 I recaptured that love. Um, during the most painful times of my life is when I recaptured the love It was when I was going through the therapies when I was forced to write and I started to love it again and it's just so remarkable how during the most painful times in our lives that that we can tap into the most joyous moments and um, it, it we just have to keep leaning in and walking through and not stopping, not stopping just in the pain but walking through it.
0: Well, that's the most important part, and and you know we all have pain, and we all go through certain things that, hopefully, you know the majority heals from. Because yeah. if if you uh, do not allow yourself to, to move forward with it, um, then you'll you'll never heal, and then you're always a victim of it.
1: Absolutely, and isn't that huge? That is so. You stay stuck. You just yeah, stay, you stay stuck. stuck. And 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 unfortunately. Um, we can begin to live in a life of excuses
0: mm-hmm. of
1: why we are not who we wish to be, right. right? Why we have not reached self-actualization. And it's basically because we've given ourselves an excuse to fail mm-hmm. and we've allowed our pain to be our excuse. And um, and I think it does take a lot of courage for people to face their pain and um, and and walk through it and to work to be better on the other side it takes a lot of courage to do that. But I also think that's why people don't do it because yeah. there's a part of the unknown that is a, that is fearful.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: know with me, when I really started going deeper into my healing journey, I got scared yeah. because I was afraid that I wouldn't recognize myself on the other side mm-hmm. because I knew this Fatima. I knew the broken Fatima. I knew how the broken Fatima argued how she, how she um, asked for forgiveness, how she coped with pain, shopped like crazy. I knew that Fatima, and now I'm facing this stuff that's supposed to make me feel better after I face it. Mm-hmm. So that means I'm gonna have to let go of some habits, and that means I'm gonna have to change. And I just don't know if I'm gonna like that girl. Is that girl gonna be funny? Is that what is she gonna be like? Mm-hmm. And and I really and, and I really was afraid. I was afraid that my husband wasn't gonna like me anymore. That my kids was gonna think I'm too boring. All these things I was afraid of, and and then I just I really had to have a moment where it was where I had to think. Well, Fatima, like this this is who you are with all the pain. Imagine who you can be once you release all that release stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and I really had to have that type of a moment with myself to give myself the permission to keep moving forward in my healing journey. But I do believe that people get stuck there. They're afraid of the change. So they just say, you know what, this is good enough. Okay,
0: stay stuck. Well, the beautiful thing is that you've actually severed those cords
1: so that your children don't suffer that way. Yeah, I'm definitely trying. And of course, I'm sure you know that it is a continuous process. I still screw up. I still do things. We all that, do, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and uh-huh. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm grateful that I've learned to apologize to my children and to not feel um, too proud to apologize because mm-hmm. back in my day, that that didn't happen, and I'm oh. a, I'm a, I'm thankful for that because sometimes I apologize a lot. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes we do. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. but you know, I'm I'm uh-huh. grateful for that, and and like I said, healing is ever evolving. And so, um, prayerfully, that's my, that's my word on my vision board this year, evolve. evolve. And so I'm just definitely, um, definitely prayer, um, prayerful and hopeful for more evolving and that I'll be, um, better, um, a better, to, you know, I'll be better tomorrow than I am today. And then my kids can say that, you know, yes. that my kids yeah. can say it, that, that mm-hmm. they can, they are my confirmation. You
0: know? mm-hmm. And I'm sure they are, believe me. I mean, it's a beautiful journey. So it's a journey of healing and it, it just, it truly never ends, but, um,
1: and that's the beauty of it is that we're, we're learning and growing every single day. Yeah, absolutely. And in the beginning, I was afraid to see what Mm -hmm. was under the, under the cover, you know, I was Mm -hmm. afraid, but now I'm like, show it to me let me see it so I can Mm -hmm. fix it you know now now I'm open okay yeah I shouldn't be that way okay that was I was a bit judgmental there why am I judgmental when these situations happen I'm open to seeing it now in the beginning it was like oh I don't want to see it because I've told myself for years I'm perfect yeah (laughs) I've I've told myself for years that Uh people have done things to me that I haven't done anything to people they've done it to me Mm -hmm. so I I don't want to see that other stuff you know and I'm I'm just grateful that that I made it to a space where I'm saying, okay, wow. I don't like that I've hurt people, but I'm willing to see it and I'm willing to to understand it and ask for forgiveness. Like I'm willing to do that, you know. Well, that's the most um,
0: thing. Mm-hmm.
1: It is, but it ain't easy. But no, oh. <laughs> but, it, believe but me, it, I I better. I'm
0: one to say yes. I know, you know,
1: I know, you know, um,
0: it's not easy. But it again, as you said, you know, self-love and setting yourself free and acceptance and forgiveness is, is is huge. And then we can finally live the life that we were born to live in.
1: Absolutely. I believe it. I definitely believe it. And we can get closer to our purpose. Yes. Because we all have a purpose. And sometimes all that junk gets in the way of us seeing our purpose. But I'm a firm believer that the more we clean out the more that we are able to see what we are truly called to do in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we are all not called to be Instagram models, right? Mm-hmm. Some things are more, <laughs> uh-huh. you know, more substantial things to do. <laughs> <I> <laughs> right? I'm still trying to figure it all out, though. <laughs> I, I am too. I got to be honest. Some things uh-huh. perplex me, but um, and I, I think our purpose changes. I think it changes with time, with the different seasons in our life. You know, um, I, I definitely believe that too, but that's a, that's a conversation for another time. But um, at the end of it all, I definitely think that that we all have purpose and, um, and it's up to us to not allow the pain of life to get in the way of our purpose. Of our purpose.
0: Well, I I definitely have to have you on again to talk about your second book with your children. <laughs> yeah, that'll be interesting, yes, but absolutely, really interesting. I, I would, <laughs> I would definitely do that. So where can where can my listeners get a hold of you and purchase your books?
1: Yes. Well, my website is FatimaC.com, Um You can also, um, once you go there, there are some um, free resources that are there. It's a lot of information um, about me and um, some videos there and And you can also get the book there. If you just want to find out about Fatima, definitely go to my website, FatimaC.com. But you can also find me on on social media. And of course, Instagram is always the place to go, it seems. Mm -hmm. But I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn. So you can search for me, Fatima C. Oliver, on all, and, and you should be able to locate me. And the books, as far as the books, everything's always on Amazon. So you can locate them on Amazon, but also um, the book, The Prescription is in the Dirt, Rising Through the Pain, is being sold everywhere books are sold. So Books a Million, Barnes and Noble, Walmart.com, you name it, it's there, your neighborhood bookstore. I would definitely encourage um, your listeners to go out and get it. I I am convinced that that there will be something in there enriching um, that will impact your life. Well, I'm going to buy it. That's
0: for sure. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure
1: I can learn also. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yes, we are never too too old to learn, huh? No, never, never <laughs> too old to learn. Trust me. So, yeah. but uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate you um, inviting me on your show. I really do. Thank you so much for sharing your platform with me. Well, I thank you so much for saying yes
0: and coming on and sharing your story, uh, which took a lot of courage and writing that book and. Um, people need to know that they are not alone, and and not to be a victim of certain, you know, circumstances. And absolutely. Yeah. Oh,
1: um, thank you so much.
0: Oh, you welcome. So, you know, uh, thank you everyone for listening today. And again, a big, big thank you to my guest Fatima. And please go and buy that book because I'm sure there is a lot of information there that a lot of us need to listen to and to hear and learn from. Um, And I hope today that you actually heard what you needed to hear. So please visit me at motivateyourlife.net. And please subscribe to this YouTube channel, the Spiritual Warrior Coach Podcast. I'm also on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and we're actually international. Um, And if you want to learn about energy healing, uh, go to Amazon and check out my book, Gentle Energy Touch, The Beginner's Guide to Hands-On Healing. So again, thank you so much for listening today. Again, big thank you to Fatima for sharing her story with everybody. And for everybody, uh, have a beautiful week filled with love and with light, love, Barbara.